Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 34 of the Pitch to Contact podcast, where we'll be briefly also talking about basketball. Uh, but before we do that, welcome back. It's been a couple weeks. We have some good Twins news for you. We have some non-Twins news for you and some ideas for the Twins going forward. And to go over that, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, John Ka. John, what are your thoughts on the first place Minnesota Timberwolves? Uh, let's just enjoy the ride while we can. <laughs> I, I've been telling myself basically like it's okay to enjoy it, but let's not be too optimistic because after all, these are the Timberwolves. That being said, though, they've had like several clo- close calls the past couple games and they've managed to pull pull the games out. You know, they, they were down yeah. against Charlotte. They ended up winning that one, even though there was no Anthony Edwards. But, you know, the classic small ball is dead with uh, all three bigs scoring over 20 points, which is insane. And then uh, they had the game prior to that where I think they were facing, uh, was it the Spurs or was it, um, might have been the Spurs or it was uh, maybe OKC. I can't remember exactly, Um, but they were down and they were down. It looked like this was another classic. Oh, it was the Jazz. Sorry. It was like down in the the second quarter, but then they kind of came back and rallied. And it really feels like a team that's like really embracing the fact that they're, they're actually good and (laughs) like a good team. And it, it's, I don't know if I'd call it similar to the Twins run this season where they were just um, because the Twins obviously just weren't as dominant as the Wolves are. They're number one in the Western Conference. But there is a sense of belief around this team where I think the Twins had something similar where they were like, yeah, we're we're confident that we're the best team in the AL Central. Yeah, it might not look like that at some points. Yes, we did lose the lead to Cleveland at the All-Star break. But no, this crown is ours and we're going to be the best team in, in this division. Yeah, no, I, I've been super impressed. It's definitely the most exciting thing to happen in it, to Minnesota sports in a while, especially the Timberwolves. Um, you know, getting off to this start, especially, I've been really impressed by. I am on record as a Rudy Gobert hater, yep. and he has been excellent this season. So, yeah. um, all, all credit to him, right? He, he was capable. He was capable of this before. I just kind of thought he was past his prime. I thought he didn't care that much, and uh, you know, he, he's been playing well. He's embraced his role. Part of the problem with him in Utah was always he felt disrespected he wanted the ball more he wanted to score and i think on the timberwolves where he's very clearly the you know maybe fifth option when everybody's healthy uh he's just kind of embraced it's like hey i'm gonna get some dunks i'm going to play great defense and that's pretty much it so credit to him i think big credit to uh cat especially who's really uh played a different role as a playmaker this year and i think the big thing for them compared to last year is they just look like they've had a little more time together, right? Where it's so different for Mm -hmm. Cat, especially where he was always the only five man and didn't have to worry about playing with another big. Well, they had some time to work on that. And surprise, surprise, he's a very talented basketball player and he figured it out. So defensively, he's looked great. Uh, Everything's kind of come together and they're doing it. You know, they've played most of the games without Jaden McDaniels at this point and Smith the last few. Mike Conley is old. So, you know, there's always health questions, but I think it's a good sign that they've, you know, withstood the injuries they've had so far. So shout out to them. I I tweeted this out yesterday. I don't know if it's still current, but um, I was looking at players that are 50, 40, 90. For those who don't know, that's 50% field goal percentage, 40% three percentage and 90% free throw percentage. It was basically just like marks of good shooters and like guys like, you know, Steph Curry and and Kevin Durant have kind of career 50, 40, 90 guys. So this season for like people who qualify, which is basically 70% of your games, uh, it's KD, uh, Kaysen Williams, who's out in um, in OKC, and then Carl yep. uh, Anthony Towns and Nas Reed are the other two members <laughs> of the 50-40-90 club. So. Nas Reed. 
Nasreen, man. He's, uh, uh, he's balling right now. Yeah, no, it, it's it's awesome. I think an underrated part, and we'll, we'll kind of end here and then actually move on to the Twins, but an underrated part of this too, I think it's Mike Conley, right? Where yeah. uh, I think he is a great veteran leader to have. I think mm-hmm. more importantly, uh, Rudy Gobert is a very temperamental person in general. He's always been that way. He probably will always be that way. It's part of why he's a good basketball player, I think. However, Mike Conley's played with him the last few years in Utah. I think he knows how to handle him in general. And then on top of that, um, they just have really good chemistry from their years playing together in the pick and roll. And so that, I think he just kind of connects everything very well. You know, I think that uh, game where Ant got injured, I don't remember which one that was, but he didn't have the best stat line, but he played almost the entire second half because they needed somebody to handle the ball without Ant in there. And so, you know, he just really ties it all together in a way that I think isn't always going to be appreciated unless you're watching the Timberwolves pretty much every game like we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you really want to talk about, you know, like clutchness, like there's always the debate, like is, is being clutch a real thing? Um, you know, we, you know, we saw Carlos Correa a little bit with that in the playoffs, especially in that first series. Uh, in yesterday's game uh, against Charlotte, Mike Conley, I think, was like one for seven from three point range for the first three quarters. And then in the, the last quarter, basically the last five minutes was just balling. Uh, hit a couple yeah. of important shots and ended up finishing with like 15 points and was just the the ultimate floor general, the guy who was just steadying the ship for the team and making sure that it, that they were basically beating one of the worst teams in the NBA uh, and, and making sure that as one of the best teams in the NBA that they were showing off that they truly yep. are that good of a team. Yeah, and one of the players said it afterward. I don't remember who it was, but talking about, oh, that's a game that we would have lost last year, right? And that's the difference. They do, they do seem like they figured that out. And uh, as far as clutch goes, I don't think it's a thing in baseball. I do think it's a thing in basketball because there's a distinctly different skill set you need to be clutch in basketball sure. where, uh, you know, the ball handling, getting to the rim, mid-range pull-ups, right? Mm-hmm. That That's something that, you know, a guy like Anthony Edwards is very good at or, uh, you know, maybe – Rudy Gobert has other talents. That's not one of them, right? And so uh, I, I think it's definitely a skill set that you have in the NBA. Well, let's get into the baseball, which we're actually here to talk about theoretically. Uh, part of the reason we are talking about basketball is there's just not that much happening right now. There's been a few signings, uh, but there hasn't been a lot of just stuff going on. Uh, that should pick up this next week as we get into the winter meetings. Uh, even if the moves don't happen right now, this is where you kind of lay the groundwork for the talks and everything just – starts to take shape, right? And so the Pablo Lopez deal last year is a good example of that, where the Twins first started talking with the Marlins uh, around the winter meetings. They didn't actually make a deal then, but they kind of had the framework so that later into uh, January, once that deal got done, you kind of had that starting point already. So we'll start to see stuff pick up. You know, there's reports saying Otani's supposed to pick a team at some point this week. Uh, Same with Yamamoto, uh, Jung-Hoo Lee, who I'm going to talk about in a minute here. He's getting posted as well. And so there should be a big uh, influx of activity, thankfully. Yeah. Well, and the twins are also just a very classic, like, uh, you know, we don't operate like a poverty organization necessarily, but we do like to see where the, uh, the chips lie, so to speak, and make our moves. Once the market is kind of determined, the twins hate, hate being market setters. Um, and so even last year, we didn't see, you know, pivotal moves made with the team. And we saw pivotal moves made with the team, you know, even in February and March into spring training. Yeah. So it's not surprising that on the Twins front that there isn't a lot happening. Um, you know, they're just making small deals here and there, doing some doing some stuff. And obviously, they're still negotiating their TV contract and trying to figure out how much money are they actually going to have uh, next season. Yeah. Uh, when you're buying at the beginning, especially, you really have to pay a premium. Um, so let's get into that. 
but before we do, just a quick reminder that you can follow our podcast on Twitter slash X at Twins Talk Pod. And again, make sure you follow, like, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. We always appreciate that. So we'll get into the uh, little bit of news that we had. We'll get into some free agent hitters that we think the Twins should target after going over the pitchers in our last episode. And we'll uh, go from there. So let's get back into some of these early deals that have happened. And so I mentioned you have to pay a premium at the beginning of the market, right? So you think about a guy like Kyle Gibson, who just got one year and $13 million from the Cardinals. Um, I think that's a great example of that, right? Where if Gibson sits around, um, maybe he gets a little more, maybe he doesn't, but $13 million is the number where he's like, okay, I don't need to test the market anymore. I'm happy with that. Let's put pen on paper right now. In reality, he's probably more worth like eight to $9 million, but the Cardinals, with a bunch of needs in their rotation to fill, have to pay a premium to get that up front so that they have some sort of certainty moving forward as well. Uh, another example we can talk about is another former twin, Kenta Maeda, who got two years and $26 million from Detroit. And I think that's a prime example, right? Giving Kenta two years is a little extreme. I know some other places like MLB trade rumors were saying that would happen, but anybody who's watched the Twins who watched Kenta pitch uh, coming off of a big surgery, yeah, he's got the okay underlying metrics and everything, but it's just not quite the same as it was before. And so giving a pitcher at that age with uh, the serious injury, I think is a great example of a team just paying a lot up front to get the deal done and then move on. It was also, I think, a system where, Maeda was specifically looking for a two-year deal. Like, yeah. I don't think he wanted a one-year deal. So right. any team that's kind of willing to give him a two-year is looking for that. And then, you know, if, if you'd consider Maeda guy, a guy who's like one year, 12, 13 million, right, then Detroit's not really overpaying for him. It just feels like they're overpaying because they're adding that second year along. Yeah, the the AAV isn't the issue, right? It's the second year, which yeah. I think he basically signed with Detroit because Detroit was the first one saying second year, done, yeah. mm-hmm. sign right now. And, and, you know, for a team like Detroit that's trying to get its, uh, you know, feet under itself, they had a yeah. nice, surprising, you know, second place finish in the AL Central, uh, a team that is trying to build on their youth. Having a guy like Maeda who can give them 130 solid innings, you know, with that pitching staff, which is just frankly not that great. And they just lost. They're probably losing their best pitcher in Eduardo uh, Rodriguez, who isn't likely going back. They just want some stability in, in their rotation and getting Maeda yeah. gives them a little bit of that. Yeah, they have a bunch of young guys, but a lot of those young guys are coming off of injuries, right? And so you get the veteran presence around them, I think will help. And they're the exact type of team that this makes sense for versus the Twins. Paying that premium when you're cutting payroll probably isn't a good idea, Mm -hmm. right? With his production from last year, I think it's pretty easy to backfill that with organizational depth or Louis Varland or anything like that, right? You can piece together that with different pieces versus Sonny Gray, maybe something replacing that production is what you do want to go out and pay a premium for. So rather than uh, using your limited cash that you have this season for 13 million on Kenta Maeda, well, can you bump it to 20 and bring in somebody who's a little more impactful? Mm -hmm. Um, So let's talk about Sonny Gray next. He signed with the St. Louis Cardinals. It's for three years and 75 million. Ironically, they used almost the exact kind of creative structure. I pitched in my article about it where they're paying him 10 million this year. uh, And then I think it's 25 and 35 each of the two years after that. And then after those three years, there's either a $5 million buyout to bring it all the way to 75 or um, I think it's another $20 million option for a fourth year. So uh, it's a good deal for St. Louis. I think this is pretty much what everybody expected Gray to get. But again, another one where at his age, with his injury history, I don't know if I would necessarily want the Twins to pay that premium now, let alone uh, or back when they maybe had more payroll flexibility, let alone now when we know they don't. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it's one of those deals where I think 
if the Twins had just done the three for 75, right, and not added a fourth year on, I think I'd have been perfectly fine with that kind of deal. Like, it's it's around what we were talking about with um, uh, well, my, like Chris Bassett, when yep, the deal yep. that he signed with, with Toronto. Now, Gray, Gray is older, right? Um, and he isn't the most healthy. Last year was just a really, really yep. good year for him. So, you know, there's there's caveats there, but you're also paying up for basically one of the top five pitchers on the free agent market, so I get it. Right. That being said, yeah, that fourth year, man, I just would not have loved it if the Twins had that that sort of deal. So, you know, the fact that he goes to Cardinals, it's fine. Twins get to recoup their first-round pick. Yeah. They basically traded yep. for Gray. And at the end of the day, I think this is a weird move for the Cardinals, uh, yeah. ultimately just because they also they, they basically lose their second highest pick by signing Sonny Gray. And considering that they were a bottom five team last year, that would have been a relatively high pick as well. So um, yeah. it seems like a weird move for a team that is trying to maximize the the Paul Goldschmidt and the Nolan Arenado years. They got a bunch of you know young hitters uh, as well. So it kind of makes sense for why they're still trying to compete. The NL Central isn't that great of a division. Uh, yep. But it also just feels weird competitively for where they're at. Yeah, it's I, I think yet last year was a bit of a weird year for the Cardinals. I think the talent they have and even the performances that they got out of people clearly didn't uh, represent their record, especially on offense. Right. The issue mm-hmm. full stop was the pitching. Uh, what's yes. weird to me is that they're fixing the pitching exclusively with 35 year old former twins. And so it's Sonny Gray, Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson who they've spent a combined like hundred million on. Now granted that's spread over years for uh Sonny Gray mostly, but then 11 million for Lance Lynn, who gave up the most home runs uh, in baseball last year. And then 13 million for Kyle Gibson, who was fine. Um, you're basically what they're doing is they're setting that floor, which is a lot of what we talked about with the twins last year. And we gave them credit for, however, the difference on the twin staff was that you had some of the guys who could get higher, right? You had Joe Ryan, you had Pablo Lopez uh, on the pitching side and then on the offense, obviously uh, they did that as well. But right now, those are their, probably their three best starting pitchers. It's those three, Miles Michaelis, who is also 35 and okay, not great. And Steven Matz, who is 32 and okay and not great. And so they, they've they been out there reportedly still looking at other deals, specifically more trades for uh, Lucas Giolito or Dylan Cease is another one they've been tied to a lot. But they're they're paying a lot for old pitchers to basically maximize that window you were talking about, uh, which I go back and forth. I'm like, it makes sense because those guys are expensive. You're going to have them. You're not going to reset. They have a bunch of young hitters still up and coming like Jordan Walker, Nolan Gorman. But yeah, they're, they're just kind of in a weird spot as a franchise, it seems like. Well, and the weird thing, too, is that last during during the trade deadline, they traded away Jordan Montgomery, who granted... Yeah, he's a free agent this year, so they didn't want to lose him for nothing. But Montgomery is three years younger than Gray. Now, granted, maybe he didn't. He doesn't obviously have the same quality of stuff that Sonny Gray is. I think people would probably say Gray is a better pitcher than Montgomery, even though Montgomery yeah. just had a great World Series. Yeah, but that was the best pitching of his career by far versus Sonny Gray. You've seen him pitch well in the past, for sure. Yeah, but three years younger, probably cheaper. Uh, he's going to, over the life of his contract, give you probably more than what Gray will give over the life of his contract. Yeah, it, yeah, it just feels kind of weird that they're, yeah, that they're spending all this money on old dudes. <laughs> yeah, so. um, but yeah, I, I, that that's the other thing too is because Sonny Gray is older, specifically, right? If you're talking about that top end of the market, he was the only guy where you were only going to have to commit three years to, True. right? Yes. Anybody else, Jordan Montgomery's probably going to get five or six. Yes. Aaron Nola got seven. Um, Otani obviously is in his own boat, but 
uh, Snell's probably going to get five or six. And so when you want that top end production, it does make sense to go after Sonny Gray for a team like the Cardinals. And from Gray's side, in his introductory press conference, he mentioned the Cardinals specifically as a team that he wanted to play for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the org- organizationally, they're very similar to the Twins, you know, family feeling and everything like that, that we know he really liked in Minnesota. And then he's not that far from Nashville. He loves to go back home. He's all about his family and having them uh, be able to be close. And so uh, it makes sense for him. I- I'm happy for Sonny that he got money that he's, you know, frankly deserved after signing a very team-friendly extension with the Reds. And uh, yeah, good-, good for him. And, you know, I, w- I wish him the best. Yeah. I'm glad we're not paying him $25 million AAB. Yeah. Uh, so now the twins obviously will turn to some different routes to replace that uh, production, which we'll talk about in a minute. But th- they were never going to get that production on the free agent market for starting pitching, where it's always the most expensive thing to buy because everybody needs more starting pitching. Everybody's willing to pay for starting pitching. And so that's why you often see the twins wait until the cards settle and you try to get somebody on a lower number. Yeah, or find someone who's willing to be traded. Right, like Pablo Lopez, like Sonny Gray when those happened. Yep. Um, okay, last uh, former twin here. We said there weren't very many signings, but apparently that does not apply to former Twins pitchers because Emilio Pagan also signed with the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, two years, $16 million. The second year is a player option, which, man, good for Emilio Pagan for getting this deal because I would have loved to have him back on like a one-year $5 million deal, and he just went way past that number. Yeah, I don't know what the Reds are thinking here. <laughs> I mean, it's probably the same thing that a lot of, I think, baseball analysts feel about Emilio Pagan when you don't watch the Twins, which is the underlying stuff looks great. It always looks great, yeah. but just the reality is different. It, I mean, it, and the Twins fell victim to this. It's a lot like, um, it's a lot like Jorge Lopez, who had some of the most disgusting stuff, yeah, but couldn't control it. And granted, maybe some of that was was mental health, and, and for sure, that's that's you know right. something to be taken seriously. But at the same time, like the dude, yeah, he had great stuff, he just couldn't control it. And Pagan is like kind of similar in, in that spe- in that sense. I think the funniest thing about this whole situation, though, is that um, his home run rate was only 0.65 last year, which was pretty solid. Yep. A couple years ago, though, in San Diego, it peaked at 2.27 home runs per nine. Uh, and he's going to be pitching at Great American Small Park. So, yeah, man, it, it's going to be rough. I, I don't know why the Reds did this, but um, you know what? Pagan got got his money, which is good. Um, I mean, he did he he did have one war with the with Minnesota last he year. He was really so, good last year. That's the thing. So an eight million deal deal is not like out of the question. That, yep. that kind of is in line with you know war per war per right. dollar. Well, you know whatever those calculations end up end up being. So. You know, the fact that he got a player option too, which basically gives him security for two years, I think yep. that's a that's a pretty good deal for, for Pagan. Yeah, I mean it's a great deal for Pagan because if he does what he did last year again and does it in Cincinnati, he'll opt out and he'll get an even bigger contract, right? And so good for him. If he does terribly and gives up uh, a billion home runs, then he'll opt in and get another eight million dollars. So yeah. Um, it, it's very interesting where I think this is a prime example of, again, paying for the premium where not only did you give Pagan two years, but the second year of the player option, he gets to choose <laughs> whether or not yeah. uh, he pitches there. And so it's partly because it's an early premium. I think it's partly because going to pitch in Cincinnati, um, you always are going to have to pay more for pitchers because everything is going to be inflated. And mm-hmm. so um, maybe that's why it's a player option instead of just a straight up two-year deal. But I don't know if you saw the uh, headline from Michael Bauman at Fangraphs, but uh, it was something like Emilio Pagan or Emilio signs with reds. Nope. Sorry. Back up. Pagan signs with reds. 
colon, going to give up a million home runs. Yep. So uh, very, very on point there. Yeah. I'm just looking over his stats last season. In 69 innings pitched, he had one save, eight holds, and five blown saves. Yeah. Like the, the Twins smartly just kept him in a mostly medium leverage role, and he was very good in that exactly. medium leverage role. But the Reds are paying him to be, you know, a, a setup, a, a prime man. setup guy. Yeah. I mean, they still have Alexis Diaz there. So obviously he's not taking over the, clo- he's not challenging yeah. the closer position at all. But, Maybe he maybe he has probably the next guy up after him though. Yeah, but yeah, he, he's gonna be assuming everything goes well for him. He's, that's a pretty solid setup, man. So yeah, um, again, and I don't want to discredit anything he did last year because he was so good. He was. He had that one blow up against the Red Sox at the very beginning where mm-hmm. Kenta Maeda got hurt and they just needed somebody to soak up some innings. Yep. And I, I always think about that uh, picture of him and Rocco sitting on the bench, Rocco sitting down and talking to him because Emilio is clearly very upset with his performance. He's very upset with how many home runs he's given up. And Rocco's just sitting there and you can almost tell what he's saying of – thank you. You did this. We needed this. We are not going to punish you for this. Right. Mm-hmm. And they didn't, he was solid all year and became one of their most reliable guys. And part of that second half turnaround. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all the credit to him. All right. Um, let's move on from the former twin signing elsewhere and let's move on to some more twin centric news. Uh, the TV situation, we don't have a resolution yet, but we do know who's going to be calling games. Uh, Corey Provis as expected is taking over on TV. John, I know you're a big uh, radio guy. So are are you a fan of Provis moving over to TV or do you wish you still had him on radio? What are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm excited for Provis to be on TV. Obviously we'll miss his voice on radio. Uh, but obviously the big news is that he mentioned blackouts might be going away, which is like, he said they are going away. Like definitively. Yeah. That's like a bold thing to say, like, right, right. When you, uh, when you take the job. So if that, if that really is the truth, then it's like, Hey, then I don't have to worry about not listening to promos on radio. I can just watch him on TV. So, yeah. Um, I know a lot of people aren't the biggest fans of, um, uh, Kirk Atterbury taking over on radio. I thought he was fine, but I also don't care like too much. Yeah. About it. It's just, just, you know, if you didn't call a game, that's, that's all that really matters in my opinion. Yeah. I don't listen to radio so much anymore unless I'm like driving somewhere when the game is happening, but um, yeah, Chris Atterbury, totally fine. Right. Yeah. Um, he's been with the organization for something like 20 years doing the yeah. post game show. Mm-hmm. So he's more than earned the chance to do something like this. Um, yeah, I, I think Provis will be great on TV. You know, he filled in for Bramer at the very beginning of the season, and I think he did great. I've watched him on a few college football and college basketball yep. broadcasts. I think he's done great. So um, I, I'm really excited for him and getting to, uh, you know, get a little bit more youth, a little bit more excitement in the booth on TV. And obviously, more importantly, uh, just having local people being able to watch more broadcasts. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's hard to say if there was any other better options because. I mean, I think with TV, you know, a lot of times you just kind of know your local guys. You don't really yeah. listen too much to, you know, some of the national guys, of course, um, you know, Joe Davis out in um, L.A. And then you had uh, Jason Benetti, who, you know, moved surprisingly to moved to Detroit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because the White Sox are a terrible organization. Um, <laughs> and he's, you know, one of the you know, classic uh, national TV guys they, like uh, Matt Visergen, who's down with the, the Angels, is also right. a really solid dude. But yeah, you don't really you don't really hear about all these other other guys who could potentially take you know jobs elsewhere. And so, I think having a local voice that people trust with with uh, Provis, and he's got a great voice for radio, so I can't imagine it'll be bad for TV if he does that full time. 
Yeah, I think that's usually what you see in baseball too, is it's like the the radio guy is like the next guy up. I think it was yeah. Milwaukee that also did something very similar recently where they just moved their radio guy to TV. Yeah. And I, I think it'll be good. I think it'll bring some new energy to the booth. I think that already happened a bit when they, you know, moved away from some of the older color guys. Roy Smalley is still there, unfortunately, but um, you know, the the rest of them moving mostly to Justin Morneau and Glenn Perkins, guys who have been around the game more recently, right? And so yeah. a lot of the guys that they're commenting on, it's like, oh, I played with or against that pitcher, right? Mm-hmm. Or I remember facing Juan Soto if you're Glenn Perkins and here's how I approached him. I don't know if Glenn Perkins actually ever faced Juan Soto because he was in the National League, but for just as a random example, right? Of being able to talk about that, they're guys that relate more to players that are on the Quin- Twins currently uh, just because they're, they played more recently. They have more in common with them. And so mm-hmm. I, I think that's been really nice. Trevor Plouffe did a couple games. I think he did great. Uh, we'll see what happens with the rest of the booth still, but I think it's not going to move away that direction. If anything, it might move more that direction by adding more guys like Plouffe. Yeah. Uh, okay. Next uh, piece of news here, which is fairly significant, is that according to uh, our good old friend Lavelle Emile of the Star Tribune, Buxton is already fully recovered from knee surgery and is expected to resume baseball activity before the end of the year. So apparently it all went well. Obviously with Buxton, I think that's all relative because he can get running again and maybe that's a little bit different. Of course, it doesn't really matter right now. All that matters is come spring training, come uh, opening day that he can play center field. Uh, But, uh, you know, this is a good sign. We're not getting the negative news or the no news that it feels like we've gotten with Buxton the past couple of years in the offseason. Yeah, I mean... As long as he's healthy and he's feeling good, that's all that really matters. And, you know, I I would like to see him be able to be at least at, you know, 80% once spring training starts, you know, he's actually playing in games and and running around. Like that's kind of the most important thing because he did pretty much still sit out all of spring training uh, this past season. And so just being able to see him actually be active will at least give us a better idea of, is he going to be able to play half the season in center field or something like that? Yeah. Uh, either way, I think we'll see another center fielder still brought in, right? Um, even if he's 100% fully healthy, absolutely pain-free, we just know that's not going to be the case throughout the year. And so you have to have another starting caliber guy who will fill in in left field or right field and other times. Like we talked about with Michael A. Taylor in spring training, that was supposed to be the plan. Then Buxton could never play center anyway. And so he pretty much was the everyday uh, center fielder. But you get a guy, Michael A. Taylor, a Michael A. Taylor equivalent. Some guys that I'm going to talk about later are maybe guys that are a little overtaxed in center field, but could still play there for 50, 60 games if they needed to. Uh, that type of guy, I think, is a, is a good player you could target as well. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that at length. Yep. Uh, la- last couple pieces of news here. Uh, Giovanni Moran and Ronnie Henriquez, they were the two that were non-tendered at the non-tender deadline. They were both brought back. So uh, in that initial move when it happened, the Twins mentioned that they wanted to bring both back. I think Moran especially was most likely to since he's recovering, uh, recovering from Tommy John surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, but getting Henriquez back, I think, is a really good sign as well because you know his stuff, I think, is still big league level. It's just you got to hopefully recover from the injuries or whatever went wrong last year and i think he's a big league caliber big league caliber reliever yeah there's a reason why they included him as part of that mitch garver trade they clearly saw yep. a little something in there so being able to you know keep working with him is is probably something that they're excited about yeah and you get to free up a 40-man spot in the process which is good because they still have several holes to fill mm-hmm. um and this last piece of news, which I think is absolutely nothing, but people on the internet for some reason were very upset about it. They restructured the scouting department. There were a few guys that were let go. 
people on Twitter, like always, were overreacting and not acting rationally, being like, oh, the poll ads were being cheap. They said they were cutting payroll. And I just hate to tell you, but scouts make so little money compared to you know players or high-level executives or anything else they're spending money on. It's nothing to do with that, right? This is something that uh, would be 100% Derek Falvey's decision with how he wants to run his baseball department. It has absolutely nothing to do with money. Still, it's the poll ads. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, um, right. yeah like it, it's it, they're always changing up the scouting department, trying to figure out where to assign people and, and you know where to where to invest money in. And you know these changes, I think, pretty much happen every single year. It's it's not right. like a a new thing that's like oh they're blowing up the scouting department. No, they're just making changes like they always do. Yeah, I know there was there were two moves in particular, and forgive me because I don't remember their names, so I apologize. But there was one guy who was a big international free agent type of guy who they. Uh, got rid of and then they immediately replaced um, with another guy whose name I don't remember, but essentially he was the one who's credited for finding a lot of the great international signings, specifically uh, Jordan Alvarez. I know he was credited with when he was with the Dodgers. The Dodgers, of course, signed Alvarez, ended up trading him to uh, the Astros eventually. But it seems like, you know, the guy they let go, they replaced with a very qualified candidate, like I'm sure they would because Derek Faldi is smart and knows how to run a baseball department. Um, and then another guy whose like big thing was amateur ball and finding these low level guys that can turn into big league players. His big recent success was Randy Dobnak, right? Who, listen, is he a great indie ball find? Absolutely. Uh, is he someone I'm going to lose sleep over maybe not having because you don't have that scout? Absolutely not. <laughs> so I don't I don't get it, man. Why, what are people so up in arms about? But I guess that's the internet for you. Yeah, it's it's uh, November. Yeah. We need some baseball things to get, get angry about. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, let's get to our rumor roundup. So just some things that have been reported by the Twins Beat guys that nothing has happened, but some good things to be aware of as we move forward, especially into the winter meetings here. So we have two main things. The first one is that Christian Vasquez has been floated by a trade candidate, which is one of these things that I hate about rumor season, which is like, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't you float Christian Vasquez as a trade candidate? That just makes sense. And so nothing shocking there. I think they like Ryan Jeffers as the starter. I think they like uh, Jair Camargo as a backup potentially. If you have Vasquez, great. No one's going to complain if he's on the team. But if you need to free up $10 million, that's a great way to do it. I mean, let's be honest. Like, There's always stupid rumors. Like, The Twins are in talks with Shohei Otani. Yeah, half the league's in talks with Shohei Otani. Like, just because something is reported doesn't mean there's actual traction happening. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, the other piece of news or not news of rumor that we have here is some dueling starting pitcher reports, which are very interesting. They both come from Bobby Nightingale of the uh, Star Tribune, who's starting to take after his dad here, it seems like. But basically earlier in the week, he reported that the Twins are most likely not going to be pursuing top level guys, that they're going to look to build out depth, get some lower level veterans uh, to build out the back end. And then yesterday he's like, oh no, actually they're in the trade market for Dylan Cease, Lucas Giolito and uh, Corbin Burns and all these big guys. So um, I don't know. The point being, they're probably doing both. And so it's just very weird for it to come out so closely to each other right back to back. There's been a lot of a lot of Brooks Lee for Corbin Burns like suggestions, and I don't know how to feel about a lot of those conversations. Yeah, I I, I have no idea what uh, the situation is because it, I don't know. I'm not the biggest fan of Brooks Lee ever, right? The big reason he's a top prospect is because he has a high floor, right? It's not necessarily has this great yes. ceiling. Yeah. Um, you know, I would maybe try to float a guy like Emmanuel Rodriguez, who I don't think is really going to be able to play at the big league level. Um, so I don't know. It, for one year of Corbin Burns, maybe that's paying a little bit high, but 
I don't know, if you really want to come in and replace Sonny Gray's production, that's kind of the type of thing you'll have to do. Rather than that, though, I would maybe try to go after a guy with multiple years of control. Dylan Cease, I think I'm a little lower on than most, but you know, if you can put a package together where you don't pay as much around someone like Emmanuel Rodriguez, I think that's a little more interesting. Yeah, uh, that's always just the random twins nightmare of you trade Emmanuel Rodriguez to uh, the White Sox. A division rival. Yeah, and then he just destroys you for, you know, 17 games a year. I mean, it's not that it truly matters. I'm also not that high on Dylan Cease. I think he just walks way too many guys. It's kind of the same reason why I'm not the biggest Blake Snell fan. Um, But uh, in the same way, you know, like... a one-year rental for Corbin Burns to me doesn't make a ton of sense unless you can kind of guarantee signing him and the Twins just don't seem like a team that would ever yeah. sign a guy like Corbin Burns to a long-term deal. I, uh, I'm like trying to think of other frontline starters who you could maybe get via trade, and I can't really think of any. That being said, though, last year I didn't think Pablo Lopez was a possibility for the Twins, so I guess anything can happen. Yeah, I put together a big list a while ago because I'm working on an article for potential trade candidates and everything. But, um, you know, there's like Shane Bieber, right? Who is he a free agent after next year? I think he might be. Yeah, but, he, he's got the he had the option this season and then he'll have the uh, I think he has free agency next year. OK, but there's a what's it like Mitch Keller over in Pittsburgh who's oh, getting towards geez. the end of his arb years. Right. I think he would be a great grab if you could get him. I know the Marlins again are floating uh, Edward Cabrera and Trevor yeah. Rogers. Um, you know, th- there's a few guys like that. I don't think there's anybody, you know, Pablo Lopez level. But then again, when they made the Pablo Lopez deal last year, I didn't think he was Pablo Lopez level and got a lot better. So I think that is what the Twins have been good at of identifying those types of guys they think they can improve, which is exactly what happened with Pablo, with Sonny Gray, with Joe Ryan. So they've done a good job with that. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens ultimately if they can somehow package like not a top three prospect and somehow throwing Christian Vasquez in there. That'd be like the ultimate coup. But <laughs> yeah. uh, that that's just me dreaming. Yeah, right. And that's the thing is baseball, I think more than different sports is a little bit harder to predict where it's like we got Sonny Gray partly just for Chase Petty because uh, the Reds at the time were trying to shed salary, right? And so there's motivation like that where it's like Juan Soto is available right now because the Padres need to shed salary. And so there's things like that that you can't always factor into when you're building out a trade. But you find somebody like that. I'm of the opinion I think the Twins should do both. However, if they only targeted back-end guys and used the money that they do have to fill holes elsewhere, I think I would also be okay with that. And partly, I think that's because I'm very high on Joe Ryan heading Same. into next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the he was, he was so good in the first half. We talked about this a lot, but even in the second half, he was still striking out a ton of guys, just too much hard contact. And if he gets that splitter working back where it was in the first half, he's going to be golden. I mean, basically, if he wasn't like a bit slower in the first, what, four weeks of – the season and they didn't have that blow up against Atlanta, he's likely going to the all-star game, right? Right. In place of Sonny Gray. So I I think like the top a, a one, two, three punch of Paolo Lopez, Joe Ryan, and Bailey Ober, I think to me is like, yeah, I'll I'll take that as my top three. Yeah. You know, especially in the AL Central. Um would it be nice to have another solid like guy who's maybe a number three, number four starter? Sure, I'll take that. Yeah. Um, but the price to get like a number one, number two starter, similar to Sonny Gray, I think, is just something that I don't think the Twins need right now. And it's something that they could explore in the trade deadline if they really right. want to get up to, get up to that point. Yeah, and, and I think the the Pablo Lopez trade at this point is a clear win for the Twins, right? I, I think they would do that every single time uh, yes. trading away Luis Arise. But remember, Pablo Lopez at the time they traded for him was kind of viewed more as a like fringe two, maybe three, not the one that he turned out to be. And obviously the Twins were willing to pay that premium price because they thought they could turn him into what he became. But Luis Arise was a very, very high price to play 
pay for a third starter. And so keep that in mind for the trade market too. It's also a very uh, high barrier to entry. Yeah. The other thing with Pablo too, it always been injury. So that was the other thing is like, he could never finish like 180 innings in a season. Um, and, but the thing is he has still, I mean, even when he was Miami, he had one of the best changeups in the game. So yep. I think yep. a big thing was the twins, like telling him, Hey, you can also add a slider sweeper to your arsenal. <laughs> yeah. You'll be have you ever tried absolutely something, deadly. Have you ever tried something to get out right-handers? Yeah. Well, the <laughs> thing with the Marlins is that like they, they're an organization that knows how to how to teach change-ups. But yeah, um, yeah for some reason, not, not a lot of slider work in, in Miami. Everybody's got their thing, I guess. Yeah. Well, uh, we will keep you updated if they make any moves. Like I said, with the winter meetings being basically right now, everybody's in Nashville at this point. Um, I'm sure we'll start to see rumors trickle out, if nothing else. And maybe the Twins don't make any solid moves at the moment. But uh, again, laying the framework, I think, will be very important. And we'll start to at least get an idea of what the Twins are looking at. The uh, We got the Pablo Lopez rumors uh, in the winter meetings last year. The move didn't end up happening then, but everybody knew the Twins really wanted him. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Speaking of the winter meetings, we do have some breaking news here uh, on the podcast as we're talking. Have you seen this move, John? Yeah, it's kind of weird, but no, whatever. <laughs> you can announce it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It doesn't really affect the Twins, but I just think it's interesting. But the uh, Mariners traded Jared Kelnick, Marco Gonzalez, and Evan White, who most famously signed a contract extension without ever playing in the, a game in the big leagues and then was very bad. Uh, but they're trading all, all three of those to the Braves for... Uh, Jackson Cowar, formerly of the Royals, a top prospect who turned out to not be very good, and a right-hander named Cole Phillips, who apparently is in the uh, Gulf Coast League and is very far away. So I have no idea what the Braves are doing here. Well, so the funny thing, of course, is that... Just or, sorry, couple... not the Braves, the uh, Mariners. Yeah, well, the funny thing is that Atlanta a couple of weeks ago traded Kyle Wright for Jackson Cowar. Yeah. Because uh, Kyle Wright is going to undergo shoulder surgery this this or has undergone shoulder surgery and it's going to be out for next season. It seemed like they were, that was mostly a, sh- a salary shedding move for them. Pretty much. And then the my and then uh, Mariners are also shedding salary. They they traded away. Um, uh, what's his face? Eugenio Suarez uh, to the Diamondbacks for basically a backup catcher. And I think like a, a reliever or something a reliever, like that. Yeah. And I mean, it's not that Kalanick and Marco Gonzalez were like good players like Kelnick has just been frustratingly just uh inconsistent he was uh, Mark- fine last year right yeah Marco Gonzalez could just never find a, a spot on that rotation um and so they're also just getting rid of salary for basically nothing because Kowar is like maybe a guy who's like a number eight number nine starter uh I have no idea who this Connor Phillips guy is that you mentioned um but maybe this is all angling so that they can go after their real target Shohei Otani yeah, I mean, if you're a Mariners fan, you're basically hoping it's what the Twins did with Josh Donaldson, right? They traded Josh <laughs> Donaldson the day before they signed Carlos Correa. Right. And I remember those like 24 hours in between as a Twins fan. I was like, what are the Twins doing? What's even the point? Why am I even watching baseball? They're just <laughs> shedding salary for no reason. And also it turns out Josh Donaldson sucked anyway from then on. But right. um, there was – got to hope if you're a Mariners fan, it's something similar. Maybe it's not Otani. Maybe it's like Yamamoto or someone like that. But you have to hope that there's something else coming or maybe a Juan Soto trade, right? right. Well, the, uh, the funniest thing about this is that none of these guys actually make that much money, you know? Yeah. Like Kalnick right now is is still technically uh, – he's not even arbitration eligible. So he's literally making the league minimum. Uh, Marco Gonzalez uh, – oh, there he is on, on roster resource. He uh, – I don't know how much he's making actually right now. He's making eight million dollars a year right now. He's he's yeah he's he basically not making it. losing Marco Gonzalez from your roster does not enable you to uh, sign Shohei Otani. So 
I don't know with with the way the Mariners are operating. So here's the other thing: Evan White, who I mentioned, signed that extension before. Yeah. He's not very good, but he's going to be making seven million dollars uh, in 2024, ah, eight million dollars in 2025, and then he has a ten million dollar club option in 2026, which will obviously be declined, but also includes a two million two million dollar buyout. So basically, they're shedding seventeen million over the next three years on that contract alone. And so what it kind of seems like to me is Kelnick was the price of shedding. Uh, White and Gonzalez's contracts. I guess, yeah. If you if you throw in Eugenio Suarez, he was getting paid kind of around ten million a year. So, yeah. So yeah, all I in all, you, they, fl- they freed up what, like twenty five million? Like, yeah, thirty million dollars ish, somewhere around there. Which is yeah. what? That's probably assuming Otani gets five hundred million over what twelve years or something like that. Yeah, at least right, that, right that. That gets you like two thirds of the way. I could okay, okay, okay. I, I, here's the thing: is I don't think it's going to be Otani because they're one of the teams that was reported. Oh, uh, Gonzalez is at twelve next year, so He's that's 12, that's pretty heavy. Yeah, so that's pretty big. Yeah, um, I'm just looking at AAVs, I guess, but yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Anyway, so like in terms of actual cash, it looks like they're shedding more, like thirty to thirty-five. Okay. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, that that's a pretty big number, right? And so maybe it's not him. Maybe it's just you're going to sign Matt Chapman and. Uh, Blake Snell. Blake Snell, actually, now that I think about it, he's the one who's been tied to uh, Seattle quite a bit. He's from the area. Reportedly, he really wants to go over there. And so it could be like Snell and somebody else, which in that case, again, probably still worth shedding the salary and just getting off of the Kelnick cycle. Yeah, that's interesting. For Atlanta, I kind of like it too, where they needed a left fielder with Rosario leaving slash not being that effective. Um, And if anybody can fix someone offensively it's the Braves right who just turn everybody into a 30 home run hitter seemingly well I mean according to your opinion they're cheating so yeah I, I mean listen they all had career years what are the chances <laughs> every single one of them um uh, all right we need to dig into that conspiracy theory someday but uh... it's not even a conspiracy theory I just feel like it's a logical conclusion <laughs> All right, let's get to a few other uh moves around the league before we move on to some more twin stuff but yeah. uh a few moves here that I think are applicable to the Twins and their strategy. So one of them, Luis Severino to the Mets. He's a guy I mentioned on our podcast last time of a guy I would like the Twins to target on a one-year deal. He got one-year $13 million pretty much. I, I was thinking more like 12 but 13 is probably exactly what you'd expect for a guy with Severino's caliber, who's very, very talented, but was hurt a lot the last three years, but still has very good stuff. Yeah, and he's just a mystery, and so... He was yeah. never going to get more than one year. Yep. I think this is a fine deal for the Mets who are like trying to compete, but also kind recognizing of. that like their division is really, really tough. Um, and it, it'll be an interesting thing because it, I could see them trying to flip Severino midseason. If let's just right. say the Mets are somehow like covering around 500 and Steve Cohen's like, no, let's just get some more draft picks and let's get some more young guys and, you know, play for the future. And then they, they uh they trade Severino to a contender because hey he's actually looking kind of good yeah no yeah I, I think it's a good move for them Steve Cohen's been very clear that their whole plan this offseason is basically to find ways to build up their farm system right right they don't feel like they can compete next year they want to kind of look more towards 25 26 and getting some guys that are you know prospects but a little bit closer to the majors and so that's we talked about this at the trade deadline when they traded away Scherzer and Verlander, but they're still covering something like 80% of their salaries for them mm-hmm. to not play for the Mets. And basically they did that so that they could get higher level prospects from uh, the Astros and the Rangers respectively. And so, you know, they're, they're willing to essentially buy prospects, which I think is something similar they're doing here with Luis Severino. If you pay him 13 million, if he has a good first half, great. Then you trade him and you kind of do the same thing and find another guy that can backfill in the, uh, in the prospect rankings. 
Yeah, and so yeah, we'll see what we'll see what the strategy is for the Mets come yeah. July, basically. Yeah. Uh, next one, Nick Martinez to the Reds, two years, 26. Uh, very similar to Kenta Maeda's deal. I think, honestly, pretty similar stuff to Kenta Maeda's stuff. It's just not the same results. Uh, but another thing where it's like, hey, you're kind of seeing that the back end rotation guys here are still getting a pretty premium number. Nick Martinez is also younger, but he did spend a lot of time last season in the bullpen. Yeah. Um, I think this is just the Reds trying to find like a number five starter. Yep. And, uh, Which they need. Yeah. So it's not a bad deal. Like, you know, this could have been a guy who's, you know, very similar to like maybe, you know, a little bit better than, you know, Matt Shoemaker or Jay Happ for the Twins, you know, those type of deals. But at yep. the end of the day, like, it's not the biggest deal that the Twins didn't get him. Yeah. And then if you're thinking about another potential Twins target, Seth Lugo, I think, you know, mm-hmm. probably something in this range where it's like, okay, kind of more of a reliever, but started a little bit, had pretty good success in Lugo's case. And so maybe it's instead of two for 26, it's like three for 39, you tack on another year, but probably right. somewhere in that AAV. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Aaron Nola, this happened pretty soon after we uh, spoke last time, but he signed with Philadelphia for 7-172, and folks, the Twins are not touching anything close to that. So, Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the AV uh, on that actually was like kind of decent. It was like, Yeah, no, it, it's not bad, but I just don't think the Twins will ever give that much money guaranteed to a pitcher. I don't think they'll ever give that much guaranteed. Well, th- no, they, they did, did to uh, Correa. Did Correa, yeah. 6-200. Six, so, yeah, yeah I, but that, that's Correa. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, Mauer was 7-184, so twice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then finally, the last one here, Reynaldo Lopez to Atlanta, three years 30. That AAV, I think, is a bit inflated, but it's inflated because reportedly the Braves want him to build up as a starter. And so they don't, they're not really? saying for sure he's going to start, but at least going into spring trading, that's going to be the plan. He was a starter earlier in his career with the White Sox. Moved to the bullpen, was much better in the bullpen than he was at the, as a starter. But uh, the Braves need to build out the back end, and they think they can do it with uh, Lopez if he hits for $10 million. I think that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, they did trade a bunch of guys. Mike Soroka, Jared Schuster, yeah, yeah. Uh, Kyle Wright. Granted, not all those guys would have been coming back next season to pitch for them, but those are basically the guys that were filling in their number four and number five spots. So getting someone yeah. like like Lopez, if they're really thinking about converting him to like a maybe a five inning starter, um, I could yeah, I could see that. Yeah, um, and so. I guess they just traded for Marco Gonzalez as well, who can fill out that back end. And so Mm -hmm. that's kind of what they got here is two back end guys. And you still have uh, Strider, Morton, and uh, who was the all-star that shouldn't have been an all-star, Bryce Elder on top of that rotation. I would bet they're still going to sign or trade for another guy. That doesn't seem like enough for them. Yeah, I I could see them trying to get another frontline guy just because Morton isn't... uh, He's old. He's good, he's he's old. old. And he wasn't the most reliable last season. Um, Yeah. Is this like Blake Snell? I mean, maybe... Um, yeah, they, they seem to be more as like a Dylan Cease trade team, right? Yeah, that just seems so weird. But yeah, I could yeah, see that happening. He does. Honestly, Cease is pretty similar to uh, Strider in the good fastball, good slider, walk too many guys, mm-hmm. but strike out enough to make up for it. Yeah. Let's get into our uh, kind of last piece of business here. Let's talk about free agent hitters. So kind of like we did last time, uh, we both have a list of people I think that we'd like the Twins to target, uh, why we want them to target them. So, uh, John, why don't you uh, go first here? All right. So I'm going to start with Shohei. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, let, let's be honest, right? Shohei Otani, that's the biggest name. It's not going to happen for the Twins because, A, I don't think that the Minnesota is a big enough market for him to – for him to want to sign here. He's been very adamant about, he wants to go to, you know, a place that has a little bit bigger market. Um, and uh, Minnesota is not that unfortunately, but it would be fun. I don't know. I, th- I think part of the Otani thing is nobody really knows what he wants. Right. And so maybe he does want to go to Minnesota. He- 
here's the thing is if he did come out and like, I really want to play for the Minnesota twins or he sits down with Derek Falvey and he tells them that yeah. you find a way to get him on your team, but that's not going to happen. So yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah. So I don't have a long list for this because I think in terms of hitters, the nice thing is that the twins do have a lot of these holes filled yeah. and what they really need are kind of more solid bench dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, the, you could argue that the only starter that they really need, um, in terms of batters is like maybe center field. Right. And yep. I think that's, and even that, like it's kind of up in the air, depending on, you know, Buxton's health, yeah. which at least, you know, leverage wise is a very good place to be as you're negotiating with free agents or looking at trade targets. It's a good place to be in. Exactly. So a lot of the names I'm going to say are kind of be names that probably you're mentioning or you're thinking about, or, um, that have already been said, but I think maybe that the top two players on my list are Kevin Kiermeyer and, uh, Michael A. Taylor, basically, Guys who are center fielders who you could bring in on a one-year contract aren't super expensive. Kiermaier is a little bit better offensively. I think Michael Taylor is maybe a little bit better. I hesitate to say better defensively. I think they're both really solid yeah. defensive players. Um, and uh, the only thing is Kiermaier might be a little older. He's 34. Um, Michael Taylor also just came off a career year uh, yeah. for the Twins, so he might be a little bit more expensive than what the Twins are looking at. Uh, and then we've talked about this at length. They do technically have a couple guys in the wings who could fill in that, you know, part-time center fielder spot. Austin Martin being one of those guys. Um, so when I say Kevin Kiermaier and Michael Taylor, I'm just like, these are guys that f- kind of fit that mold. Do I think the twins are going to go for them? No, unless they can get a really good deal. Uh, but that's, that's maybe the two guys that I think uh, to start off this list that, that I'm, I'm looking at. Yeah, I think with uh, Taylor and Kiermaier, Kiermaier is going to cost more because he's when he plays, he's just one of the best defenders in baseball, period, straight up. Like Michael A. Taylor is very, very good, gold glove caliber, mm-hmm. caliber but uh, Kiermaier especially is just that top line. His issue, of course, is that he's just hurt all the time, and so he, he very rarely plays that many games. And so do you really want to do that if you're the Twins when you already have that concern with Buxton? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I kind of like we did with the pitchers, aimed a lot higher than you did. So <laughs> um, for, for a couple of reasons. So one being where I, I think you're right, where right now the Twins have a good solid floor at pretty much every position, right? There's only uh, maybe two spots I probably wouldn't actively be looking to upgrade uh-huh. uh, if you can, which would be uh, Correa at shortstop, and that's mostly due to the contract. And then uh, second base, because I think between Julian Polanco uh, Brooks Lee eventually, right? You can probably make that work mm-hmm. anywhere else. I think you bring in a guy, uh, if you can get it on a reasonable contract. Yeah. So basically my reasoning behind that being think back to the first half right now, obviously things turn around a lot in the second half because, uh, Royce Lewis, Matt Walner and Eddie Julian, especially started performing. And then Max Kepler had the best three months of baseball that he's played since 2019. Mm-hmm. And so the problem with that is going to be that I don't think that any of that is sustainable. Matt Walner is just a prime regression candidate, right? And he might be fine or he might look like Joey Gallo did last year. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm worried about Walner. Uh, and even if he is, plays like he did last year, I still don't think you want that guy in the middle of your lineup uh, because of the big strikeout rates. Julian, uh, he definitely has the highest floor of everybody because he has that elite, 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 literally uh, top percentile eye at the plate. He literally had the lowest chase rate in the entire uh, league last year, which is great, but he still strikes out a lot. He strikes through pitches in the zone. He doesn't chase pitches, pitches out of the zone, but he's got to get better at making contact in the zone, which he very well could. He's young. 
but um, you know, you're still a little bit concerned about that. Uh, Kepler, like I already said, played his best three months that he had in four years. And I think uh, maybe it's permanent, maybe it's not, but either way, I don't think you can plan on him being your two, three, four hitter. Mm -hmm. Uh, Polanco's are always hurt. Buxton is always hurt. Correa had the worst year of his career offensively, but he's still never really been that real middle of the order bat that you want. He's kind of more like a prototypical fifth hitter, right? Where he's good enough and then he brings a lot of value off the field and brings a lot of value defensively. And so the last guy of that group uh, who's probably most likely to keep performing is Royce Lewis. But again, same injury questions, right? Of uh, He has two ACL tears. He had uh, the what was the hamstring that kept him out at the end of the year and almost kept him out of the playoffs. If he's on the field, he's going to hit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So if he's on the field, he's going to hit, he's shown that. Um, But yeah, strikeout issues. Uh, What I did like out of Lewis was that kind of in that second half of the second half that he had, he started walking a lot more, which was a good sign to me because before he was literally just swinging at everything. And so he was starting to take uh, some better at bats. Kirilov is another guy who could be in that middle of the order, but he's never healthy. And so again, we kind of have the same theme here throughout every single one. So that's why it's like, if we had an upgrade of a guy that could potentially play in the middle of the order and give you solid, reliable at bats, you don't need to be an MVP candidate, but can you play every day? And can you give a solid performance? That's where I would look to upgrade. So then who are your names there? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Let's start with uh, Reese Hoskins. Ah, uh, yes, my boy. Yeah, he, he's very popular around uh, twin circles these days, it seems like. But uh, he's a guy who MLB Trade Rumors has him projected at uh, two years, $36 million for the contract. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't do that coming off of the injury, but I don't think he's going to get that. MLB Trade Rumors has been high on most of their contract project predictions. And so I think he'll you know be in the more like one-year, $15 million range. I think if his market was truly around you know more $20 million or two years, 36 then the Phillies probably would have given him a Qualified offer, qualifying offer, which they didn't. Mm-hmm. So um, he's a guy I would go after. He can play first base. Uh, Kirloff, like we mentioned before, he's coming off of surgery. He's never healthy anyway. He can play left field if you need him in the outfield. Uh, and if you really you know, need to move guys around, Walner can still be optioned back down. And so I think Hoskins is a guy that I would target. He is not great. He's not, I don't even think, an all-star level player. He's going to hit 250. He's going to hit 25 homers uh, and he's going to strike out a bunch. But I think I would love to take that type of at bat in this twins lineup that's so inconsistent yeah i was kind of thinking about that first base issue because like you said kirloff has a lot of position flexibility i mean yeah he started out as a quarter outfielder and they moved him to first base uh but his health has pretty much always been an issue so yeah first basemen i think are are kind of interesting there i was looking at some candidates at at that position I, i do like reese a lot i just um, and if you get him on a one-year deal, I think right. that makes a lot of sense oh, totally. for the Twins. The other guy I was thinking about who I'm a little – I don't know if I'd saw, say suspect of. I, I don't know if I believe the whole uh, the whole jam is a, a Jammer Candelario because mm, yeah. uh, he plays both corners, first and third. So he kind of helps you with that whole Royce Lewis being hurt situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can play you know, some first. He's probably a little bit more expensive. He's 30 years old. He's, he's not coming off an injury, so he's probably good looking for a longer-term deal. So I don't think his timeline really works with the Twins. Yeah. But if you're looking for a guy who you know can hit decently well, he's not, you know, he was technically an all-star last year, I think, uh, with the Nationals. Uh, yeah. But uh, I mean, that doesn't really mean anything, I think, in, in terms of his actual uh, player quality. Yeah. He's a solid dude. 
And yep. if if he was on a shorter term deal, I think it would make sense for the Twins. But I think because he's looking for a longer term one, I don't think it makes sense for the Twins timeline. Unless they're like, yeah, we don't we don't really love we don't really love our corner outfield options. If we if we have a three person outfield of of uh, of Kepler of Kirloff and Walner, and we just say uh, Candelaria at first base. And we're good with that, then then maybe they they go with that move. But I think they still want to see Kirilov at first because ultimately they're the ones that decide to move him there in the first place. Yeah, I think the nice thing though, since he's still young, is I don't think they would have an issue if for one year they move him out primarily to the outfield. And then mm-hmm. that's the other thing is you you can platoon these guys, right? You can uh, have Hoskins play against lefties and Kirilov yeah. against righties. That's the other thing you can do. Hos- Hoskins is a right-handed hitter, which helps a lot. He doesn't play great defense, but honestly, I think it was mostly because of the uh, injury. But I don't think Kirilov played great defense either. So, um, he, he was better when the shoulder wasn't hurt, but especially in that last month of the season, I think his defense really took a hit, obviously culminating in that, uh, not error, but misplay, uh, against the Astros for sure. Um, so another guy kind of in that same vein that I have is Justin Turner, who is 38 Mm -hmm. years old and can drop off at any moment, but because of that, he's definitely not going to get more than one year. Uh, MLB trade rumors has his predicted contract at one year 16 but he's another guy who you can just slot him right in the middle of the lineup he's going to be fine he still mashes against lefties which is nice he had a 900 ops against lefties only 773 against righties but for context uh donovan solano had a 772 ops last year and so he's basically donovan solano against righties and then great against lefties and so that's the exact type of guy i think you'd go after too where you're still very left-handed uh heavy in the corner outfield and first base spots especially yeah and uh, speaking of left-handed heavy, I think that that's what leads to my next guy, who I again would be kind of a luxury for the Twins, but I think it makes some sense. Is um, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Um, he's a right-handed corner outfielder. He he just played with the Diamondbacks. Um, I like his fit for the Twins mainly because he's the he's a right-handed corner outfielder. Uh, the, you know, we we've had some issues with that in the past where it was like, hey, we're going to call up Kyle Garlic to fill this spot. <laughs> it's like why <laughs> and yeah um you know th- this team does have you know decent righties but we saw you know issues last year with with just being unable to hit lefties at all because the righties on the team weren't performing um and you were pulling out guys like donovan solano to to be yep. like batting lead off against lefties because it was like he's the only guy who can get on base uh i think guriel you know he he plays corner outfield decently well um Again, he kind of gives an option to kind of cycle in between Kepler himself and and Walner, or Walner could get sent down. Uh, yep. Gives some more time to season. It's a, a little bit more expensive. Again, thirty years old, so he'll he'll probably have a little bit of a longer term contract. But he's a guy who's reliable. Um, he's a guy who kind of fits what the Twins were looking for for a long time, and just really never got because they just have so many power lefties for yep. some reason in their organization. Um, and to me. Yeah, it'd be an interesting deal. I don't I don't think the Twins are going to make it, but I think that's one that could make some sense. Yeah, no. So funny you mentioned that. He's one of my guys I had too. Mm-hmm. Um, MLB Trade Rumors has him at four years, $54 million, uh, which honestly is not a terrible price, right? I think part yep. of that with him is last year he really had the power click, right? And that's kind of been up and down for him was the power aspect. Um, so I was digging in a little bit to his batted ball data on uh, Savant. Mm-hmm. And my <laughs> sentence that I wrote down as a conclusion is, what if Jose Miranda played okay defense in left field? <laughs> <laughs> because he makes a lot of contact. Yes. Uh, he doesn't walk and the power really comes and goes. And well, so, yeah. The, to the contact point, last year, his strikeout rate was 17%. Yeah. Like 
like that that is something that like I would love on this twins team in yeah. terms of just getting a dude on base, you know? Yeah. Uh his on base percentage took a hit a little bit last year in Arizona, 309. Uh that was a career low for him. Um, but he's a, a career 324 OBP player, right? Yeah. He's getting on base a decent amount of time. He doesn't strike out a ton, which I mean the twins being the twins, you know, they have their like an outs and out, right? Doesn't matter if you strike out or fly out, yada, yada, yep. yada. But getting guys on base is a huge thing for this team. And um, we saw that a little bit last year where it was like Correa just grounded into so many plays because he yeah. couldn't run out a ball. But it was just the really the, the reality was like, hey, like an out is a little bit more than out sometimes. And uh, being able to have a guy who, you know, can get on base instead of a guy who just hits in the double plays all the time. Yeah, uh, that that is a that is a strength that this team could use. Yeah, not. Not that uh, you. I don't think you want to build your whole offense around contact guys, Completely. right? Because that's how, that's how we be, that's how we become the guardians. Who are like, oh, we're going to be fine. We're not going to strike out. We're going to do a different. And then guess yes. what? It had a bottom five offense. Yes. And so you don't want to just do that. However, I think you're right in that the Twins could use a guy or two like that just to make a little more contact, get on base, move guys up, mm-hmm. so that you know you less Joey Gallo, more Luis Rice, right? Of kind right. of shifting the offensive profile in one or two positions, not as a team as a whole, but finding a little bit more there. I think Gurriel's a great guy to do that. He hits lefties uh, really well. He hits righties well enough. Um, and so the other thing too about maybe committing a little bit of a longer-term contract to a guy like Gurriel is that long-term, they don't have a ton of uh, corner outfield depth in the minors versus, sure. you know, compared to like the infield where they have plenty of guys that are ready and more guys deep in the minors that'll probably develop. Uh, the corner outfielder right now, it's Walner's probably the best guy you've developed in a while. There's nobody in the upper minors that's close. Probably your two best guys are Emmanuel Rodriguez and Walker Jenkins, who are yep. both a minimum of two years away, if not more. Right, exactly. And so that that's the other reason where it's like, I'd be okay committing more uh, length to a guy like Guriel, especially because Kepler's probably going to leave next year. And, uh, if you want to bring him back, he's, that means he performed well enough that the Twins aren't going to pay him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that's another reason I'd be okay with giving Gurriel more money, especially if it's like four for 54, four for 60, something that's not crazy. You can have it be a little bit lower this year. They can figure it out in the future. And uh, yeah, the, the main concern with him, again, is just going to be, um, is he making too much contact almost? Basically, the mm-hmm. issue that we had with Jose Miranda the first month and a half of the season before he uh, got hurt, got sent down, where because he is so talented at getting the bat to the ball. You're getting out early in counts. You're not letting the ball travel. Your power suffering. And obviously this year was really good. And so maybe that's a sign of good things to come in the future, or maybe it's an aberration compared to the rest of his career. And it's really hard to know. Yeah. It's, it's kind of weird. Cause this flyball percentage like did go up. Um, line drive percentage went down, which actually isn't that bad of a thing. Cause line drive, line drive percentage, you just can't control that. So he right. did kind of find a way to elevate the ball a little bit more in Arizona, uh, which is good to see barrel rate went up by a ton, which you love to see. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe they tweak something with his hitting down in Arizona. I know they're, they're, you know, some, some data nerds down there. Um, probably, <laughs> but you know, just the encouraging thing is that his slugging, is also like not terrible, you know. Yep. Uh, even yep. in Toronto, it wasn't that bad. Uh, you know, if he if he's a guy who could maybe get you twenty homers a year, but is getting you, you know, seventy to eighty RBI, I think the Twins would be very happy with that type of, produ- that type of production. Plus, he's a guy who gets on base. So. Yep. Uh, he's I think for me a prototypical um, high floor, low ceiling guy. But again, yes. I think that's maybe something the Twins could use. Uh, completely. Yeah. 
Um, another guy I kind of have in the same vein is Tommy Pham, who mm-hmm. I wanted the Twins to trade for at the deadline this year, trade for at the deadline last year, signed as a free agent last year. And so he's a guy that I've wanted them to get for a while. He is maybe coming off of one of the best seasons of his career at 35. And so uh, he's going to cost a little bit more AAV wise, but I don't think there's any way he gets more than two years. And I think probably he'll still get another one year deal. And so uh, he, he was kind of a big star in the postseason run for the Diamondbacks. He played really well down the stretch, help, uh, you know, give them a little more uh, solid performance in their offense. I don't think he's going to be the same kind of middle of the order type of guy that he was for the Diamondbacks. But again, you sign him, you have him play, play left field, you have him DH. Uh, you could probably play center in a pinch. Um, it's a good guy to have. He hit really, really well against lefties last year. However, for his career, he's hit better against righties. So I don't know if that's something different or if it was just lucky. But either way, I think he's a good bat to uh, for any team to have. Yeah, I think the only thing that worries me about Fam is is the age. Um, and I think for that reason, like this is a guy that probably doesn't get signed until January, maybe even yeah. February. And it's Which the maybe are, plays in the Twins' favor. Right, yeah. And the Twins are like, hey, uh, Buxton's actually looking pretty decent. Um, and we uh, – so we don't necessarily have to fill the center fielder position with, uh, you know, like a guy like Kevin Kiermaier or or uh, Michael Oitela. So we have a little bit more money that we can spend. Maybe we just – you know, pay a little bit more for what the market is saying for a fourth outfielder at Tommy Pham. You have a guy that just comes in, gets rest. Obviously, he's not helping out with with Buxton in center field, but he's, you know, spelling guys in, in left and right field. Maybe that makes sense. Um, right. To me, it's not like it's not like a, you know, a sexy pickup or anything like that. But, you know, it's something that fills yeah. a need if if the need is there. Yeah, I don't know if you've looked at his uh, Savant page, but I was shocked with how much red I saw when I went there. So the batted ball data says that uh, he was probably even better than the numbers Hmm. bear out. But yeah, all those sliders were up pretty high, which I was a little surprised by, but good for him. Uh, And I think he'd be a good ad for the Twins. Do you have uh, anybody else on your list? I have one more guy. Uh, I mean, there's there's obviously fun names that we could throw around. Um, You know, the the really fun name is Lee Chung-Hoo, who... You yep. uh, made a little bit of a reference to because, um, uh, hey, it'd be fun to bring someone, someone over from Korea again, right? Like, I, I got I got some more stats on him. We'll, we'll talk about him in a second, but yeah. do, you, do you have anybody else that comes to mind? I don't have anyone more more legitimate. I think like I'm just looking at these guys and I'm like, I just don't think the Twins would you know pay that yeah. much money for. Like the dream, of course, is I think Cody Bellinger. I just don't think that's happening. No, a- absolutely not. Especially so, there was there's a report where he's looking for like 12 years and 250. And like even if I was a team like the Dodgers with seemingly unlimited financial resources, I would not touch. Uh, Bellinger with a ten put ten foot pole at that number. That's insane. Yeah, that, that's he couldn't big... hit for two years. Just forgot how to hit, and he was good last year. But the batted ball data on him is not good at all. Yeah, and so if there's somebody dumb enough to give it to him, great. I would, I wouldn't do it. Twelve years is a long year, long time for a guy who, uh, yeah, just hurt under two hundred for two years. <laughs> yeah, that's that's insane. Um, yeah, so I don't really have any other legitimate names. So all right, there you go ahead. Let, let's talk about Lee for a second. So, yeah. um. He won uh, MVP in the KBO in 2022. Last yep. year, he played well and then broke his ankle in some sort of injury that it's a little bit unclear on because it didn't happen over here in the States. Um, and so there's a little bit of concern with him coming back that he can still play center field. He's a center fielder um, who reportedly played the season, the position decently well. But the big concern with him is can he play center field or can he not? And the, the reason that's a big concern is that he does not have much power at all. And so... Um, 
the comparison that is made often is uh ha Sung kim who came over from kbo in 2020 yep. and so uh eno saris tweeted this a few days ago but basically comparing uh kim's batted ball data to lee's batted ball data and seeing how they bear it out so uh kim 90.1 average exit velocity 13 degree launch angle uh 50.4% of his batted balls were over 95 miles an hour and his max exit velocity was 108.9. And so comparing that then to Lee, uh, his average ed- exit velocity was 88.7. So uh step down from Kim. Uh, launch angle, 12.3, also a step down. Uh, this is the biggest concerning one, in my opinion. I think the 37.7% of his batted balls were over 95. So that's a huge step down from Kim at 50.4 and then a 107 max exit velocity. And so basically the reason the question of the center field is so important is if you can play center field, if you can play good defense, you know, that that's a good valuable player to have because he makes a lot of contact and, um, you know, he has the speed, he can get on base. If he does all that great, but without the power, uh, it's really hard to justify moving him into a corner, which is way where he may end up depending on how that angle looks. And so obviously any team that's signing him will get all his medical records and be able to figure all that out themselves. But um, MLB trade rumors has him at five years, $50 million. When you're talking about these guys coming over from KBO, basically think of them as more like premium paid prospects rather than like actual free agents, right? Yeah. Um, and so if you're looking at a guy like Hassan Kim compared to Lee, uh, Kim has played decently well. He's been okay at the bat, but he's a very valuable player because he's an elite, elite defender in the infield, second, third, short, wherever you put him. Uh, he's been one of the best defenders uh, in baseball. And so uh, if Lee, who has a little bit of a worse offensive profile than Kim, doesn't develop into a better hitter and he can't play center field, that that's a lot tougher of a sell. Do you have any thoughts on Lee based off of that, John? Uh I mean, the main thing also is I think the assumption is the KBO usually is kind of like a level between double A and triple A. Yeah. A lot of people kind of consider like the MPB, you know, the the Japanese baseball to basically be similar to triple A baseball. And then KBO is like a little bit lower, not maybe the quality of double A, a little bit higher than double A, but yeah, um, yeah, not like amazing. Yeah. So he's putting up these good numbers for sure, but kind of think a bit like when Jose Miranda won, uh, uh, prospect hitter of the year for the twins, right? right. He was in double A when that happened. Yeah, he, he was hitting 330 at double A. That's basically what Lee did in uh, KBO, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, hit, hitting like 330 and having like a 480 slug, right? Something like that. And so um, he's a guy where 550 is probably too high. And I don't think the twins would do that, right? And usually with these deals, they're very backloaded, right? Whereas the first year, you're paying like 2 million. And the second, you're paying five. And in the third, you're paying 10, right? And it kind of scales up like that. Mm-hmm. Because again, you're kind of expecting there to be an adjustment period of the guy figuring out major league pitching. The big difference between the KBO and major league baseball is velocity, especially there's just not that much velocity out there. And so that's the biggest thing you have to adjust to. And uh, again, 550 is probably too high, but I think this offensive profile is maybe a little concerning enough that he doesn't reach that number. I think that's when the twins would jump in and where I would want them to jump in. Again, assuming he can play center field, I still think it would be important for him to play center field. However, if you do feel like you can develop him a little bit more and you can find a little bit of more power, which the twins have shown a penchant to do with some of their prospects mm-hmm. outside of Austin Martin, um, you know, I think that is okay too. If you do think he has to end up in a corner, because like I said, with Guriel, they don't have a lot of long-term corner depth right now. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of the same argument we have with Coriel, right? You can't have 
too many contact guys, but having yeah. a few is a good thing. Right? Yeah, and he and he does walk. He does get on base quite a bit. Which yeah. Is well, the the incredible thing was that the KBO he had a six percent strikeout rate, twelve and a half, twelve and a half, a little over twelve and a half percent walk rate. Yeah. And the best part is that uh, his slugging percentage was uh, sorry. His OBP is 406 and his slugging <laughs> is 455. So this dude like just hits singles like none other. Yeah. Uh, but he gets on base a ton, which is uh, which you love to see. So, yeah, um, yeah, he has a high OPS, but a lot of that is through just like straight up getting on base through blocks and uh, yeah. singles. So. Exactly. And so part of the concern, I think, and maybe why the Twins wouldn't go after him is if you're looking at the offensive profile, it is almost a spot on comparison to Austin Martin. Yeah. Um, I think Lee bats left handed and Martin bats right handed. But again, if you're pretty confident Martin can play defen- decent defense in center field, well, maybe you already have a guy of that caliber already and you don't have to pay him. Uh, and so I-, I think that would be the other concern too. Of Lee, uh, Martin is very similar where he hits a lot of singles. He gets on base a lot. There's just not a lot of power to go along with it. And he put up decent numbers at AAA. And so Lee, I think, is a good guy to have. He's not someone who I think is going to flame out, but it's just does he have the top end potential to justify paying him, you know, a potential $10 million AAV. Yeah, somewhere Terry Ryan is salivating over wanting to pay this dude like fifteen million a year for the next six years. <laughs> yeah, I, wait yeah. To see the uh, guy in the majors. Jackson Churio's played like what, like four games at Double A and just got an eighty million dollar extension over eight years. So insane, they, yeah, insane. I mean, he's been one of the top prospects in baseball for, for like sure two yeah. years, and so good. It's for him. not undeserved, but yeah, it's a but little yeah, crazy. This, it's honestly not dissimilar to that. I think with Churio, it's a little different because he's only 19. And so you figure he's going to develop a little bit more. Yeah. But again, when you're talking about comparing double A to um, KBO, it'd be kind of similar to that. But just with, the, I think, a little bit higher expectation because you're expecting Lee to come in and perform right away. Yeah. All right. I think that's everything we got. Do you have any other uh, final notes on some Twins free agent targets here? For everyone saying that they want Teoscar Hernandez on the Twins. Absolutely not. Just imagine <laughs> Joey Gallo and think about how much you hated, how much he struck out. And that's kind of the player that Teoscar Hernandez is. So, To be fair, he didn't strike out that much before last year. However, um, he still struck out enough where it's so similar. Like we, we've been talking about this whole time. The offensive profile is so similar yeah. to what they already have. And so... Uh, if you're going to upgrade, I would like for them to upgrade in a different way. If you're not going to upgrade, that's fine. But then spend your money elsewhere and bring in a guy like Kevin Kiermeyer or Michael A. Taylor and get the defense, right? Yeah. Since 2018, this dude has had four seasons where he's had over a 30% strike on, right? So for all, for all the people who are like, oh, yeah, Tarasco Hernandez is available on the market. I would, the Twins should go get him because he's the, like a, a power right-handed bat. Yeah, dude. But he also strikes out over 30% of the time. Yeah. Like and I just that. think that there's cheaper ways to fill that too right Completely. rather than paying you know four for 80 for tioscar hernandez or whatever it ends up being yeah all right well on that note let's get out of here uh like we said winter meetings this week so hopefully next time we come together we'll have a few more things to talk about but uh i don't know i, I feel like at the beginning of the off season i was feeling a little bit negative but as we hear more we get some more clarification on the tv stuff mm-hmm. um you know some of the moves the twins are still able to make with the limited financial flexibility they have i'm feeling pretty good about where they're at about some of their plans going into the winter meetings here so um yeah i don't know uh, i'm feeling good yeah we'll see if uh aaron sabato actually gets taken up in the rule five draft in uh in a couple weeks I will be shocked if he does, but <laughs> I think that's uh, on Wednesday, I believe. So yeah, yeah, I, guess, yeah. I guess that's the uh, next big news item. If he there's did no trades lead the anything. Arizona Fall League in homers. So there's that. And you know what they say about the Arizona Fall League? 
uh, it's uh, it's fully commensurate to true MLB yep. success. Uh, yeah, the teams love to send their top pitching prospects to <laughs> the AFL. <laughs> All right. Um, on that note, let's get out of here. So thank you again to uh, for everybody who listened. We appreciate it as always. Be sure to check out our work at uh, Twinkie Town if you want any more detailed Twins coverage. Uh, we won't be breaking any news on this podcast, but anytime something happens, we'll be up on the site right away with the news uh, to uh, analyze it and see how it works. So be sure to check that out. And then you can also hear John over at Pitcher List where he talks about fantasy baseball. Uh, John, do you have any fantasy baseball tips for this week? Uh, not really. I mean, been talking a lot of dynasty on the podcast. So if you're interested in dynasty baseball, uh, we're talking about we we had some conversation on first year players and drafts and stuff like that. I know that's that's kind of shaping up for some uh, dynasty leagues. So that's something you're interested in. Uh, plenty plenty of stuff around that. Is there any team Otani could sign with that would significantly impact your fantasy evaluation of him in one direction or another? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is the weird one where obviously it's not going to happen, but I think it would be so hilarious um, if he signs with either Cincinnati or Colorado. <laughs> I'm just thinking of the hilarity of like how how like his pitching quality is like just going to drop a decent amount, not a lot because it's still Shohei Otani. Yeah, but he but might hit like, sixty home runs. But he might hit sixty home runs. That was <laughs> the funniest. I mean, he might have last year if he didn't get hurt. You know, honestly, like, if he goes to Seattle, like. I mean, let's be honest. Otani's got so much power, so it doesn't really matter that Safeco is a huge park. Um, so it actually might help his pitching a little bit. But Seattle, like even if even with with guys that have like huge power, it some for some reason the field time edge still affects like overall power at the end of the day. So yeah, um, yeah. It, Seattle might be kind of a weird place for him to go just because the because of the uh, field dimensions. Yeah, I know. I know that uh, Seattle move we've been talking about was weird. I would be really surprised if he ends up there. That feels much more like a Snell move, if anything else. But yeah, it, it would definitely be interesting. I, uh, I don't know. Otani's great. I love Otani. He's a Hall of Famer now. If he never plays baseball again, so everybody give him six hundred million dollars. <laughs> uh, anyway, on that note, let's get out of here. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks to talk more Twins baseball. Hopefully, with a few more news items to go over. But until then, we'll uh, talk to you soon and go Twins.